Broadcasting live from our satellite studios in Boston, Massachusetts, it's time for the special on-the-road edition of Learning Insights, featuring learning professionals who are improving performance and driving business results. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Learning Insights. I'm your host, Stone Payton, and joining me this afternoon, as she has done all day, my roommate of 25 years and learning and development professional in her own right, Miss Holly Payton. How are you doing, Sunshine? Hello, I'm having fun. We have had a blast, haven't we? We have met some really smart folks with a great deal of depth, uh, and I'll tell you, that last segment was certainly no exception. We had the, the folks from, from Par Excel, and then we have another gentleman from Par Excel. Uh, I'll just tell you straight up, it, it's going to be a tough act to follow. These, <laughs> these folks were, were <laughs> but we have high hopes for you. Uh, please join me in welcoming to the broadcast Senior Director of OD for Par Excel, Mr. Greg Friedman. How you doing, man? I am going uh, very well, Stone. Thanks for the invite, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I was looking forward to doing this. Well, we are absolutely delighted to have you. Uh, it sounds simple enough, Director of OD, but uh, <laughs> what do the letters stand for? What is it? Has the definition changed over the years? Give us like the State of the Union of, of, of OD, if you would, before we even get the conversation going. Yeah, yeah. So OD, right? It's it's Organizational development or organization development. Some people make other inferences, overdose, that sort of thing. It feels <laughs> that way sometimes, but it's not. Um, so, yeah, so what is OD? So, first off, I think it's one of those fields that still hasn't fully matured, which I think is incredibly exciting because I get to yeah. shape it. So, uh, you know, if you look at, you know, if you had a textbook saying, well, what is OD? It's things like, um, a, a, a process or a process from the top that's trying to shape the, the, the company. It's enterprise-wide. Um, it's based on behavioral science. But you know, in, in English, to me, what OD is, it's helping leaders shape the future of the company. What a, he's answered that before. What a marvelous <laughs> way to answer that. Uh, now, the, the idea, the concept may be centuries old. I don't know. But the, but the, the term and applying some rigor and discipline to it, that, that's not centuries old. That, that's been more recent, right? No. Um, I think it, it's probably in the, f the f before my time, in the 50s, you know, the right. textbooks come out and this thing called OD is out there. Um, it's been practiced a lot. It's been written about a lot. But it's just becoming, I think, more mature maybe in the last 10, 12 years. So when I was, you know, way back in, in, in grad school, um, I took this class called OB. Uh -huh. Two more letters, right? <laughs> Organizational behavior. Uh -huh. And they, in the, these classes, they talk about the theory of what, you know, the, the, the psychology of the workplace can do for the business. But they're really, you know, if you look at all the different organizational there at that time, still OD as a practice it wasn't common. It was there, but it wasn't common. So what exactly are you doing with Par Excel? Yeah. So the easy thing to say is I'm helping leaders shape the future of the company. <laughs> right, right. He's got that one down. All right. <laughs> and I, I do it through, I'm going to say, six different core services. Okay. Right? So things that, that myself, and I have this incredible team, so I can't say things that I do, but I have this incredible team that helps me do what, what we do. So one thing that we do is I call organizational diagnostics, right? So we have a, our, a pulse on the, the artery of the company, and we're able to take in what's going on. And I can tell you more about that if it sounds interesting. But the second thing that we do is we do a lot of work around um, senior leadership teams. So you know, how do you assemble a senior leadership team? 
um, there's there's a secret out there that's not a good secret. A lot of them aren't healthy. So, <laughs> <laughs> how do you get them to be healthy? And then once they're healthy, how do you get them to you know um, um, get to, to a high performing team? And how do they sustain that? How do they get results? So that's the second core service. The third one is around what I call strategy facilitation. You have all these seniors leaders leaders out there. Their main job is to come up with a vision and a strategy to go achieve that. Except for to go do that, it's much more complicated than filling out a template, although that's what is sometimes asked from them. So what my group will do is we get them in a room and we help them think. And I can say more about this later too, but we basically get them in the room and help them think about their strategy so later they can fill out the template. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, so that's the third course service. The fourth one is around organizational design. So this is something that isn't taught in most MBA classes. Once I know a strategy, how do I, how do I structure my organization in a way that it's going to achieve that strategy? What most leaders do today is they get a, a whiteboard, they draw boxes and say, I got my structure. But then you ask them a question, how is that attached to your strategy? And they get their eraser out. <laughs> right? um, and then the, the, the other core service is around organizational change. So how do you significantly increase the likelihood that whatever the change is, the employees, the, the management, others are going to embrace it, adopt it, live it? All of this is under your tent? And there, but there's one My more. Gracious. And there's one more. Uh, no no uh, wonder you're so fit. I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are no heavy people in this, in this field. I would, I'm sorry. I interrupted. Go ahead. And the last one is really it's helping the organization shape culture. And at PowerXL, we're doing a lot of work there. I think a lot of companies talk about shaping culture on the on the issue of um, the January issue of the Harvard Business Review this year, right on the front, it's you know it's high performance culture. But what does that really mean? When companies talk about that, do they really know what it means? So at ParXL, we know exactly what it means, and we're, we're you know my group is helping the senior leaders shape that culture. Uh, like Stone, I'm I'm overwhelmed. This is like a week's worth of radio programs. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> this will be segment one. <laughs> cool. I'm in. So we're only going to touch the surface yeah, on all of this, but yeah. um, I do want to explore several of the avenues that you've talked about. But let's start with org design yeah. and the structure of the organization. Um, how do you do that? The first step is to make, so like those core services I talked about, in some ways they actually go in order, right? So first thing, I, would, I, I have a very hard time going in a room with a bunch of senior leaders and helping them come up with their org structure when we don't know, when they don't know the strategy, uh-huh. right? So the first thing I need to know is the strategy. If they won't tell me, and they will, but if they wouldn't, the, okay, I'll, I'll barter with you. What I need to know at least is what are the core services that your organization, your business is going to employ. And if I know those, at least I have something to work with. So usually, and, and staying kind of high level, once I know what those core services are, then it's, and the way I like to do these things is I, I don't prefer to go in a room with one leader and you know get a whiteboard and do this with one-on-one. I think you bring in all the smart people around that leader, mm-hmm. right? Increases buy-in, but increases brains. You know, the library gets bigger. And we fa- I'll facilitate them through a process where, okay, we know your core services. What are the workflows, right? What are the workflows required for each core service? So if, let's make one up, say, you know, one workflow is something around manufacturing, which is not at all what Parkcell does. Um, what are the activities that, that, that groups of people would go through 
to employ that core service. And this thing, this time we're saying manufacturing. And once I know that, right, and I have all these tools and activities, and you go through it, once we know that, then it's, okay, then let's now design the jobs to employ those workflows. And once we've designed the jobs, then it's how many, and then it's workforce planning, how many of those jobs do you really need and where do you need them, that sort of thing. And then, in what we do, and this is, you know, this is what everyone will talk about, I, who, who does these type of org structure sessions, start with the structure you need first, and then get to the people. So once we know the design of the jobs, then it's, we talk about some best practices and some things that, um, again, some, some methodologies that I have, to now you can get your pen out. You should do it with stickies. And you can now build the, the actual org structure. That was probably the clearest, most concise, made sense definition of how that works I've ever heard, I gotta say. So, oh, so that was really you. great. Well, well, I've been on the periphery of some of this conversation before because I've heard you and your colleagues talk about workflow, but I never really understood what I just it sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like uh, it, it's almost, it, maybe it's not fair to say you're working backwards, but, but you're certainly not saying, well, my cousin works down the warehouse and my best friend works up here, so what are we gonna have him do? <laughs> right. and, and Which I, I mean, look, that happens. Sometimes. That happens, Stone, all the time. Right? I mean, you, you even try to get the bias out. You say, you know, we're going to build the orchestra, and then we'll do an a talent assessment. We'll map people to it. Right. But the reality is, people are people. They have emotions, and that piece is it's people try to sneak it in. Yeah. And you do your best as a you know the OD professional in the room to remind people to be pure. But right. emotions are emotions. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I want to talk about diagnostics for a little bit because I have also been, I, I've, this is my word for the day, periphery. I've been on the periphery of a little bit of diagnostic cool. work before. And one of the things that I observed, and, and, and I'd be interested to know what all you mean when you, when you talk about diagnostics, mm. but one of the things that I observed was that just getting the, the average response from a group of people wasn't necessarily all that meaningful, but what did seem to be very meaningful was looking at the distribution of yeah. the re the responses. Would you would you say that's accurate and that's much more telling? Yeah, yeah and I, I, I mean, in an ideal where I'd say both. But, okay, but, okay, but, all right, but, all right. but uh, absolutely. So it, you know, right now at ParXL, we're running an enterprise-wide employee opinion survey. Okay, right? yeah. So we have about <gasps> sixteen thousand employees, and ParXL is is truly global. We have over fifty. We have offices in over fifty different countries. And right. we, we, I mean, and they're not like channel offices. They're they're real, you know, staff offices. And and so um, to do this employee opinion survey in a way that gets data that's meaningful for those different regions, still, I completely agree. We need to have a pretty good representative from each of those regions. Right. And pretty good to me is, you know, if you go back to your stats class in grade, it's like what did I remember in stats class in grad school? <laughs> and I, I never, and I hated it. I got to tell you. <laughs> Um, but one thing I think I remember, I may have it wrong, but I think as long as you have like a 23% sample, you can make good decisions. Yeah, it's not as much as you might think, right? Or at least that's what they would have you so, believe. So at ParXL, we, we, the heart of our company is we do, we conduct clinical studies. So that 23% is really bad for a clinical research. <laughs> but for social research, it's actually, it's doable. It's, yeah. it's your threshold. I mean, more is better. All right, so but to my question, so you, you have the question or, or the statement I guess what I was trying, what I th think I remember is it wasn't necessarily terribly valuable to know that, well, we got, we came out of six, particularly, I, or at least 
every bit as insightful it was knowing that, yeah, but that six is made up of a lot of twos and eights. Yeah. So let's dive into that. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm asking about. Yeah. It's, so, um, you're talking like standard deviations and just different, I don't really yeah, yeah, know. different ways to look That's at the data. That's why I used that word periphery when we started. <laughs> I, I, but I mean, if everybody said six, on the scale or whatever, that's very different than if half the people said two and half said eight. Exactly. That's okay. What, yeah. So we have formulas to help fit like things like standard deviation and averages okay. and all you know all that sort of stuff. But you know, with the, with an enterprise wide survey, what we do is we'll 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 aggregate of course all that data, and we have partners that help us do this. But we aggregate all that data, and we'll have sort of a pulse for the enterprise, the collective. But that's that, to your point. It doesn't tell you the whole story. Right. So we'll break down these these reports, if you will, and we'll do readouts for each of the businesses. And then we'll do it, you know, the next level and even the next level. And then from a matrix standpoint, we'll also do it from the regional perspective. So um, at the end of the day, what I think a good sort of diagnostic does is it gets you data to get to making decisions, to take action, right? So the data will, will, will throw us the road, but if we do all of these readouts, and we will, they're going to work because when you get to the smaller regional levels, you get to the smaller business levels, because it's intimate data, if you will, in terms of their periphery, they're gonna come up with actions that are in sync or specific to you know, their area of control. And are you gonna, te- you gonna come back and tell me what the data was if I went to the trouble of filling it out? That was always kind of irked me a little. Always bit is, yeah, and and, and and we do. Just give me a summary, or tell me how yeah, it went, or something. A- absolutely, right? that's now, important, it, though, right? It, it's hugely important, right? So, I mean, why would I want to take a survey if you're not going to tell me the results? And and even better, hopefully, I can act. You'll you'll I'll feel the results, but but at least tell me tell right. tell me what it says. So, what what happens at PowerXL? And we have some great senior leaders, and I'm not. You know, we really really do. They get it. So what will happen is after they get their readouts, they'll get a deck and they'll they'll conduct town halls. I'll talk about team meetings. And they'll basically nice. communicate their results nice. to all their folks. Not only enterprise results, which will happen, but to your point, maybe more importantly, the, I'll call them the regional or the, the more intimate results. Right. Yeah. Can you step back for a second and, and talk to us a little bit about the company itself? What, yeah. what is the, the mission and focus of ParXL? So ParXL, if you have to classify it in an industry, it's called a CRO, a, a contract research organization. Now, those type of people sometimes call it a clinical research organization. So, at the, and we have three business lines. So the, the one is the traditional CRO. And we have two others. But so what's a CRO? Think about, and I, I guess you know, if it's not you, you know someone who takes some type of medication or they have a medical device in them. So all of those, before they get to market, need to go through a bunch of clinical trials, like seven, eight, nine, ten years sometimes, of trials to make sure it's safe and it works. And it works better than anything else on the market, right? Why would a doctor prescribe you something that works less than anything better? So that's a very complicated, costly process. Think of your pharmaceutical company or medical device company, very complicated, very very costly. So what, what, what CROs do, what ParXL does, is we conduct the studies for all these pharmaceutical and medical device companies. In fact, about 90-something percent of all the best-selling drugs on the market today have been tested by ParXL. Wow. Kind of a cool fact. Yeah. Um, so that's one of our businesses. It's the biggest business. You know, there's different, not to get technical, there's different phases and trials. There's mm-hmm. early phases. There's, you know, kind of like the big trials in the middle, and then there's late phases. And we do... Um, you know, we offer services to conduct all of that, but we also have another business which we call 
acronym PC, Parkzell Consulting. So if you're a business, a smaller business maybe, and you don't want to um, necessarily have someone else test your, your drugs um, that haven't been approved yet, we have a consulting group that's an they're experts, the world's, I mean, literally, they're the world's experts on regulatory consulting. So, you know, it sounded complicated, but if I, I want to go sell a drug in, say, Saudi Arabia, but they have a regulatory process, how do I do it? Where do I start? Ask the PC division. I said there's a third business, which is basically a software business, which is right, right? So it makes us a little bit unique. And what they do is they make the software that folks who are conducting clinical trials Right, it, it, they they make the software the folks that are doing uh, 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 clinical trials. It, it, it's it's the software they use. Yeah. So the interesting thing is, and I say it this way because I'm kind of, um, our competitors use it, which is really cool, right? <laughs> right. So, so it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, that's Excel, Yeah. Um. So, what I was hoping you might share with our listeners is companies or or individuals who feel as though some of the services that you've described. Mm-hmm diagnostics or senior leadership team creating high performance teams Mm -hmm. or facilitating strategy conversations all of that terribly important work if if they want to internally sell those ideas to their company (laughs) can you give listeners uh, any advice people that might be wanting to try to to do that within their company but not sure that their company would would buy off on that. What's what's the critical things to to have a company value as Parkcell obviously does um, to value the work that you do? So I tell people, it's a, I'm in the perfect storm right now, and and you know these, these pe- pendulum, if you can f- imagine. And them, we're right. in Boston, and the perfect storm. Okay, sorry. oh yeah, remember that movie? <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, okay, no okay. pun intended. <laughs> so so the pendulum right now for Parkcell and OD is all being on the right side. We'll call that the good side. I don't know. Side is good on a pendulum, but call that the good side. <laughs> and, and, and there's really three things going on. You know, one is um, when OD is needed the most is when a foundation of a company is basically broken. It can't handle what the company is trying to do. And foundations are broken for two reasons, you know, high level. One is because the company is not doing well. And then it's be- another reason is because the company is doing really well and it's growing to the point where it can't hold the weight. Parxel is one of our, our, our big goals is to double our revenue in the next you know, five years. It's gonna require a foundation that we don't have today. Right. right. So that's one thing. The second piece is our the senior executives, they actually get OD. They, they get it and they embrace it. Isn't that a little unusual though? Or Huge, hugely unusual. Yeah. I, I, part, of it is, part of life is luck. Right, so, <laughs> so actually that's my third. It's like I, I, I have this passion for OD and I have, I have this situation which I'll call luck. <laughs> so luck plus these leaders that really, really embrace it and they know what to do with it, plus the foundation's broken. The universe has conspired to put it you has. in the right place at the right it time. Has. It has. All right, so you, you, uh, the pendulum's in a, in a great place right now, but you also mentioned one of these six core areas is change. You've got to anticipate, prepare for, prepare other people for, adapt to, right. whatever it is you're supposed to do with change. Speak to that a little bit. Do you have, I don't know, rigor, discipline, methodology, yeah. or at least just a really badass, <laughs> we're going to make it happen attitude? Or How do you approach this thing? There's no delay here, is it? You can say those words. <laughs> um, so 
When it comes to organizational change, so first off, if you go to, I don't know, Barnes & Nobles or Amazon, there's a thousand books. There's a probably a new one every week. And I think what the books try to do is they try to say, there's something magical. If you read my book, there's something magical and your change process will be, be way more simple, way more better. And although rigor is required, and I have, I have something called POCN, the Paracel Organizational Change Model. It's a standard model that you know, the leaders and the managers actually use at our company. Um, but what, what it comes down to, it's hard work. Change is hard work. And, and so we have a model to help people through that hard work. And from the highest level, this model has you know, three pieces. We, it's about planning, keeping it really simple, right? Execute, and then anchor. And I, I, I think um, what happens a lot is, to me, there's like two, two sides of a change. I'll, I'll say the 51% of a change is the actual change that's happening, a process change, a technology change, a structure change, whatever it is. And leaders tend to spend the most time on that. You know, 51% of then they should. I mean, without that, there is no change. But the 49% of the change is, how do I then, if I'm going to change a, a process or a technology, how do I increase, again, the likelihood that the folks that are going to go use it actually go use it, adopt it, embrace it, live it? So my model is all about that piece. So how do you plan? How do you execute it? How do you anchor it? And there's two versions of it because there's things that leaders do plan, execute, and anchor. And there's things that managers do, plan, execute, and anchor, but they're different. They're different. So this model almost has two pieces that respects that difference. I think lots of folks um, would get plan and execute, mm. but if you could spend a moment just talking about anchor, what are some of the things that are important for managers to do to anchor that change? What are the things that you've are, are experiencing that leaders need to do to yeah. anchor that change? Yeah, so, um, so anchor is really good. You know, one way to say um, embed it into the, the culture, embed it to, into the, to, to the point where it's, it's no longer a change, it's just what we do. So one thing that, that's maybe more unique is I, 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 there's a piece, there's a tool that I have, there's a, there's a process that I have, is it mourn the old state. And if I was to make a metaphor or an image out of this, it's, it's you know, get in front of everybody and take the old, you know, whatever the change is, if it's, a, if it's a, again, a technology change, take the old technology and literally, you know, burn it, right? Because so, you have to give what, like that, there's that psychological attachment, you got to give the grieving time or something? Is that what they're tapping yeah, have, into? have a funeral. Have I mean, a funeral. you know, and maybe not in those words, but have a funeral. No, I think those exact <laughs> words work, work for me, right? Yeah. <laughs> That is real. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's that's worth the price of admission. Right? <laughs> carve carve that segment out. Jay. That's cool. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I, just, I think that's cool. So that's 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 an example of, of of anchoring. That's that's the old. But then how do you then bring in the new and make that an everyday thing? So that there's a lot of tools that I have around around just just anchoring. Um, you know, things that leaders would do is is here's the here's like the the best thing a leader can do, and it's the most obvious one is. I think we all know, but we don't always always think about it every day, is that employees take their behavioral cues from their leaders, mm. right? So it sounds obvious, but if the leader isn't respecting the change, in other words, doing it the new way, no matter how much other you know, techniques you've put into place, it ain't gonna work. So in terms of anchoring is make sure at the very least the leaders are acting in line with the new change. And like I like to say is, and they get caught. 
So how can Alita do it? Not not be not in a closer, but get caught doing it, and then explain to people, this is this is what I did, and have a conversation around that. So that's another example of of, of um, anchoring, if you will. But the the perspectives I think are very different. It, just in this very room here in this studio, our engineer Shay has the mixing board right in front of him and the computer to his left. Yeah. Now, to me, I think it might really make a lot of sense to have the computer on this side. It's not quite so close to our guest. Right. So I'm the boss. I make the definitive decision this evening. Right. Shay, I don't want to see that again. I want the computer on the right from now on. No, but I'm done with it, right? Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's not, I'm turning his world upside down, right? <laughs> Is it, does it, I mean, does that happen in organizations, doesn't it, where the senior level folks, they think it's just a matter of fact, just another merger. We've done three this year. Yeah. And then everybody yeah. else, is. do you see that? Uh, all the time. I mean, I, I like to say that, you know, leaders have that go through this process have to learn in a certain way. So, you yeah. know, what good, what's good consulting is actually teaching people how to throw out fish. So, but it's so, it is so common. And that's, you know, just the, the sort of the nature of the workplace. Everything's so fast. They don't have sometimes time to think. But, you know, the, the, the level of getting buy in, which I think maybe you're alluding to, and in reducing likelihood of, of lots of ongoing resistance is where the game's at. But I, what I like to say to leaders is, if you don't get any resistance, Rut row. That's a, that's because that means a change hasn't actually happened, uh-huh. right? You want resistance is actually a sign that a change is happening. Ongoing resistance is a sign that the leaders aren't leading, right? Right. And so there's a balance there. It was just an illustration, Shay. Don't change your thing. <laughs> I think you're doing a fantastic job, and I would like to get caught doing something right. Uh, later later today so let me ask um if our listeners want to find more information about organization design organization development Mm. what are some of the resources that exist associations or what have you where do people go to learn more about this science and craft yeah um there's a lot of organizations out there um i think even astd might have a have a a, you know sort of a committee or a piece on that um so there are all all those are out there there's a lot of academic ones there's you know in in the boston area there's there's a couple of some called the od network and the friedman institute probably (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) so those are out there um you know of course there's a lot of you know good books out there um but honestly, I, I feel like, and this is just, just, just my perspective, that OD still is, is immature enough that there's not enough of, of those resources out there. Like if we're talking about training, you, know, I could, you and I, we can list probably 20, 20 great resources. I have a problem listing all the great OD resources because it's still a little bit immature, mm-hmm. right? You know, if you said strategy, or if you said change in particular, or if you said teaming, I can get more specific on where to point you. But OD itself is this combination of those, those, to me, those core services. I think it's still immature enough that there isn't one, one place I'm going to point. Right. Yeah. So I cannot let this conversation stop without attacking this word culture. I've read articles. I've scanned. I won't say I read. I've scanned books, yeah. skimmed books. A lot of folks in this arena talk about culture. It sounds like a cool thing. I'd love to tell Shay this afternoon, you know what, Shay, we're going to change culture next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I, I, but I, I don't, it's just I would like to think that I'm not the only one struggling with this game. <laughs> Yeah. So in an in a organization, there's this dichotomy, this paradox of here's how you're supposed to do things. You know, 
SOPs or work instructions. You know, people write things on. This is how you do it. This is your process. This is your methodology. And then there's culture. To me, culture is how things are really done. <laughs> it's the unwritten rules, right? It's the, you know, the signs, the symbols, the language, yeah. the things that are going on around those SOPs, those work instructions that actually matter. And so to change, so first to define what culture you need, that in itself is a huge undertaking, Yeah. right? To just say, I want a high performance culture. Well, yeah, that sounds great, but what does that actually mean? Right, so first off, define what you mean by the culture you need, and usually the culture you need is the one that's gonna help you achieve your strategy that helps the company achieve its aspiration or its goal. And then to come up with some, you know, how do you change culture? I like to you know, always use this metaphor, which you probably heard before, is you know, to, cha to change culture, it's not a light switch, right? I can't just turn it on and boom, we, people are now doing things. They have these new unwritten rules that they actually follow. Yeah, that's the one I want. I want that <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Me too, by the way, you know, I, I can get that one. I'm. <laughs> I always, I, culture's more like a, like a, a big dimmer, right? It takes mm. years to change, years, um, if you're really serious about it. You know, so I have a methodology to do it, and you know, from a highest level, I like to say, you know, in terms of changing culture, the first thing I do is communicate, you know, let people know what that new culture is. The second thing is reinforce it. Reinforce, 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 and the specific things you can do there. And the last piece is live it and measure it. And measuring why, well, one, you know, if, when you know, just I get there, but also because, Culture isn't that simple. You may have to make adjustments on both sides. What are the leaders' expectations versus the reality? So what's the future of the OD world? Do you, I mean, do you think it's a bright future? Do you think we're going to have people up and coming, bright folks that are really going to dive into this and we're going to have the next, I don't know, I remember some of the names from the old reading, the, the, uh, the next Kurt Lewin, the next, yeah. Uh, yeah. Kurt Lewin is what you'd say is one of the forefathers of right, OD. Like he's defined it. Guys, yeah, right? exactly right. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, who's the I next anticipate. Who's yeah, the right, next right, right, right. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so, predict a tough thing, but anticipate to, to I'll guess. I'll, right. I, if I had to, was, was to guess, what's the future of OD? So, first off, we know that companies, the speed in which they change, it just increases and increases. I mean, it's just the life that we all live now. So I think leaders themselves are beginning to see the value in getting support to help them do what they do, which is lead those changes or lead the organization to go from one place to the other. Um, so I could see the future of, of OD you know, getting more prominent in, in bigger and medium-sized companies, more consulting at the smaller companies. But you know, right now, traditionally, OD fits in, in traditionally in L&D or HR organizations, which is a great place to have it. I predict the future of OD is you're going to have offices report right into like a C-level, right into a CEO, you know, the left hand or if you chose the right hand of the CEO. And that would be a major pivot for the vast majority of organizations, right? I think it would be a major pivot. Now, why do I even say this prediction? You know, I worked maybe, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago for a company where my OD group actually reported to the president of the company. And although right now I believe, I believe, I have enough credibility where I can call anyone in the organization and have a really productive conversation to get someplace. Mm -hmm. When I was working at this other company, I would say, you know, the, you know, the CEO asked me to call you and have this discussion. What do you think they said? <laughs> <laughs> so, there's, there's, so what if you were to mix the power of the CEO yeah. or C-level and the power of credibility together? What, what would that do to impact the change right. that OD could facilitate. 
And I think I can further describe the vision. That Not if he doesn't turn your mic on, you can't. Oh. <laughs> but now you can. Sorry about that. That's all right. I was just going to say, I wanted to, to chime in on what Greg was saying, because I actually had an OD role 10 years ago. Cool. And he's where I always dreamed to be. And, and I had an OD role by default because I was the person who took care of training. I also ran all of the business performance improvement. Mm -hmm. I also did the balanced scorecard and mm -hmm. business planning and strategy work. Yeah. And they didn't know how to name that other than OD at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where it fell in. And so it's evolved so much in 10 years that your vision of the next 10 years, I think, is spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, that's very encouraging to me. So uh, what advice, if any, for, for young folks coming out of school and at least before this interview anyway, they thought, you know, I think I'll go into OD. Uh, are, are, you, uh, are you bullish on OD? Would you encourage them to do it? And what other advice, if any, would you, would you offer them? Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll offer more general advice and I'll get into that, which is find what you love to do. And, you know, yeah. for me, for yeah. OD, I, in, with all sincerity, I mean, one, I, I like money, so I want to get paid. But if I didn't, ha I didn't have an issue with money, I would still do OD. I mean, it's, it's you for me. You just really like it. I do. It, it, I'm passionate. About, I get up in the morning. I'm actually one of those people who say, I like my job. Um, it allows me to really think and have fun. It's my, it's, my, it's my sandbox, if you will. So I would say, you know, the first, the first decision that anyone makes about where they want to land, whether it's OD or anything else, is find what you love. And if OD is what you love, you know, it's one of those it's one of those fields where getting formal education doesn't hurt because one way to earn instant credibility, you might not get to keep it, but one way to get the instant credibility in OD is to say you have this education, right? That helps. But then you have to go go execute and perform and and know the business. So, you know, if I was gonna go, you know, if I was gonna advise someone about school, it's you know, yeah, go Go to school on and get go to those OD, really it's OB, organizational behavior classes, psychology, get all that. The theories are great, but make that only 50% of your training. The other 50% is learn, and you hear this all the time, but it's so true in OD. No, you have to know the business. You have to know how to execute, and you have to be able to take theory and, and do something with it in a way that's gonna add value to the business achieving its goals. And yeah, and I think it's a business. There's nothing more important than that. So um, that's the education piece, and the in terms of the you know the the route of entry, um, it's not like a lot of like HR jobs, for example, where there's you know a company might have twenty of them. Usually, at a lot of companies, at, in, from an OD perspective, it's one or two. So oh, the really? competition's hot, if you right. will. And if you really know OD, um, the competition is 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 there's not a lot of you, but there's there's not a lot of these positions. So um, you have to be somewhat. Um, you know, diligent and resilient, but um, if you love it, go for it. Yeah. yeah. So, did you learn anything in that segment? I certainly Holly? did, <laughs> and you're like we uh, predicted, we only scratched the surface. Well, no, <laughs> uh, we ought to do this again because I want to dive into developing senior leadership teams because that's got to be oh Stone. It's it's so it's so interesting. It's so fun. It, but um, you know, there's there's so many stories I could tell you, but there's so much science to that as well. It's, that's one of those true art versus science. Yeah. It's a little bit of both, but um, you know, it, it, it just—it's a fun thing to do in terms of getting a team, a senior level team, that is clearly not healthy to the place where they're healthy. That, that must be incredibly rewarding when that happens, when that when that shift takes place. I, I can't imagine, and uh, we are—we're going to get back together, yeah, cool. and, and, and we're going to dive into that. All right. <laughs> 
Dan, thanks so much for putting this thing together. Thank you for coming up. Yeah, and thank you. What a fabulous job. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I know you did because I know how your mind works. (laughs) All right, so I promise we will do that again. But until that time, this is Stone Payton for Holly Payton, our guest this afternoon, and everyone here at Training Pros. We are out of here, Harborside. This has been a special Business Radio X production brought to you by Training Pros, your source for local learning and development experts. Learn more at training-pros.com.